Welcome, welcome to the Creative Economy Podcast. It's our weekly interview series uh, where Gregarious and I talk about the players, talk with the players of the creator economy at large, and discuss the key topics of impacting the growth of the industry. Uh, you can catch new episodes of the of the podcast on, on Wednesdays, um, and you can find out more about it on our website at createdeconomy.com. Uh, you can also, that's where we're actually going to post more longer form content and notes. Um, and while you're out on the internet looking, researching us, uh, be sure to give us a follow on social media. We are at Created Economy everywhere. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Created Economy, on YouTube at Created Economy, and also on LinkedIn. And if you want to catch all the news that we are curating on a daily basis and hopefully can discuss on Fridays during our episodes of Created Briefs, uh, be sure to follow us on Flipboard at flipboard.com slash, you guessed it, at Created Economy. All right. And with that, uh, we are also looking for more guests to join us on the show. So if you are interested, uh, feel free to join us, uh, sign up and go to createdeconomy.com slash guest list. And that is all the housekeeping I have. And without further ado, you know what? You know, every every episode we have a we, we play our intro music and when we upload it to YouTube, uh, we went every now and then we'll run into some sort of a copyright claim and which is weird because uh, the music is supposed to be royalty free. At least that was what we were told. So today's guest kind of is hopefully we can help crack the code in terms of how do we use music uh, or how can recreators use music in a thoughtful and if, in a, a practical manner. Um, and with that, why don't we bring on Anthony Demenk? Oh, my God. Wow. I, I, I had it in my head. Anthony, I'm sorry, Anthony, would, would you please introduce yourself? Anthony Demikin. Thank you. Oh, my God. Yeah. I had it. I had it. Um, And I, I did not want to butcher it. I, I do apologize. It's always one or the other, you know? Yeah. I know. My God. You know, I just need to have it, you know, phonetically in, in my notes here. Uh, but Anthony is a is an entrepreneur. He's the CEO and co-founder of a company called Tooney, uh, Tooney.io, and it's a pretty interesting company. It's a, it's started off as library X. It launched in March, 2020. It went, ran through the mucker lab accelerator, uh, has raised $500,000 and all it pretty much with the core of what it is, it offers royalty free music for creators. So Anthony, like, thanks so much for joining us on the show or joining me on the show rather. Uh, but why don't you tell us more about what Tooney is and how does it, stand out from all the other competitors right now? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, so, you know, Tooney is essentially a music library and a creator tool in one. So I think historically, uh, when you've looked at royalty-free music for YouTube or any other kind of content that creators have access to, it's been a static database of, of music uh, with a search on top. And usually that music is varying degrees of quality because they aggregate cheap music from all over the place or they aggregate baby bands. And so most of what creators have to do is dig through these sort of bargain bins of music and then find music that fits the vibe and the format of their content. And so what we've created is we've created a partially automated library. So we actually start with um, audio loops and samples that are artists made. And then we have an, an algorithm that uh, stitches those things together into soundtracks for videos. And what that lets us do is it lets us um, 
you know, build uh, creator tools that help them help creators adapt that music to the video. So custom lengths that, you know, match the length of the video um, and even custom development. So literally music that accentuates parts of the video, depending on what's going on on screen um, and sort of getting closer and closer to uh, almost like scoring to picture, you know, like custom scores that are uh, AI enabled. Um, and, and I think that's really important because, you know, in talking to creators about royalty free music and using music for content, I think one problem is always I need it to be royalty free. So I don't have any issues with YouTube's content ID system or the sort of copyright uh, enforcement system on YouTube and, and other platforms. And the other one is, you know, they spend a lot of time searching through music libraries to find stuff that fits and they, you know, don't have a composer that they're sitting next to. They don't work with a music supervisor. So all of this falls on the creator to do on their own. And it's very time consuming. Um, and so we're, we're trying to sort of uh, uh, automate a part of that and to make it easier for the creator to add music to video. So that, that's very fascinating. So what you're saying is that people just won't go to your site and download a track and then just one, you have that one and done. So it's that, that like an epidemic sounds or, or art list or anything like that, where you go to this, go to these sites, you might find a, an MP, MP3 file or whatever and run it as your intro music like we did here or for sound effects or whatever. There's a little bit more of a, of an integrated process or more of a creative process that you got that, that Tuni uh, provides creators. Is that, is that correct? Would that be fair? Yeah, exactly. So you can, you can always start with audio first, the way that you do any other library and customize some of that music. You know, if you know the timing, how long the intro is going to be, whether you want it to start, you know, straight out the gate with a beat or you want it to build up to a particular moment. But the magic of our product really comes in when you upload a video uh, into our software, and then um, we give you tools to manipulate the music to match your video. So you're saying I could take this episode, sans any 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 music or whatever, I can upload it into Tuni, and then you could spit out uh, a soundtrack that would accompany the entire length of the show. Correct. And what would, how do you get the artist to to do this? I think when you look at certain libraries, uh, music catalog libraries that these are, they, they offer these services have licenses with the, the musicians, the artists that are creating these type of things. And, uh, granted that, as you just said, Tuni is offering, it, it takes it from a different perspective. You're take you're offering samples and then from samples, you kind of create this soundtrack for, for a show or whatever video that, that creators want. How do you get those samples? Are you paying those artists and and to as a as a license to use those samples, or how does that work? And how do you build those relationships with with the suppliers of your of the of the that those files? Yeah, great question. Um, so you know, if you ask any musician, the most intuitive part of the music making process is sitting down on your instrument, whether that's a guitar or even your voice and coming up with melodic ideas, melodies, you know, if you, if you play piano or guitar, it might be a set of chords. That's kind of the intuitive part of the music production process. And so anybody who makes or produces music has a lot of these unfinished ideas sitting around on hard drives and laptops all over the place. I know I do, and all of my friends who are musicians, producers do too. 
And until we came along, there wasn't any way to monetize those things except to turn them into finished tracks and then either sell or license them to someone. And so what we've done is we've you know, gone around to our network of producers and composers and, and music makers and, and bought out some of those incomplete music ideas and then load them into um, our database and built an algorithm on stop that's basically like a, a smart arranger. You know, it basically takes these things and stitches them together like uh, Lego bricks into a Lego wall to, to make final tracks on the opposite side. And, you know, without getting too deep into copyright law, um, basically the rubber meets the road, so to speak, when um, a set of these disparate music ideas becomes a song or a copyright. And so that that part is happening on our side. So what we do is we buy those music ideas. We compensate people for them. It's we're the only ones that really do that. I mean, you could say Splice does something kind of similar, but, you know, Splice uh, requires their artists to have like very polished uh, delivery of sample packs. Uh, we do not. We take like very rough ideas and then polish them on our end. And um, and then, you know, we we sort of uh, we complete the process and make uh, make those sounds into songs that then creators can use. Um, and so, you know, it makes it easy for us because we're paying people for stuff that they haven't been able to make money from before, which is really cool. Like uh, artists are really happy to work with us in that capacity. And we also don't limit those artists from then using those ideas and music that they make and release themselves as long as it's not going into a competing music library. And that was actually a question I was going to ask in terms of how do you avoid potential copyright in, you know, infringement, those types of things, as people use your service uh, to create these type of uh, these soundtracks, if you will, uh, that, you know, everything is is above board and you don't have people coming back later on and saying, oh, that sample or that particular melody or this riff or whatever is very much like, you know, what I have on my Thing, right? Where you, how do you avoid having that 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 um, uh, Dua Lipa type of you know scenario? Yeah, I think you know it's this is a really interesting conversation to have because not a lot of people understand how the world of copyright enforcement works. So I think we all kind of you know you see those headlines, you know Katy Perry's getting sued for something, or you know uh, before it was um, before it was. Uh, I forget. I forget who the um, Robin uh, Robin Thicke. Yeah, yeah, Robin. So uh, you see these uh, headlines, and you don't exactly know the nuances of it. But basically, you know, I think uh, if you have the rights to use something, right? Like if you're commissioning it or it's yours, um, you are the copyright owner. So for for all intents and purposes, the music that sits in the Toonie database, we are the copyright owner of it, right? Epidemics Library, they are the copyright owner of that. Artlist. Um, some of that might be stuff that they own, but most of that is stuff that they actually um, take from other artists and they're sort of the agent of that music. You know, they're, that's what's called non-exclusive. It means that they are kind of leasing that music and reselling it, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is where, um, particularly on YouTube, you see a lot of copyright issues, right? But then, you know, you also see copyright issues with epidemic sound. I mean, so like you said at the beginning of the podcast, like, this is royalty-free music. Why is it getting copyright strikes on YouTube? It doesn't make any sense. And the reason why is because specifically on YouTube, um, most of the copyright owners, right, libraries, record labels, maybe even individual artists, they have to upload that music to YouTube system and say, this music's mine. Now go search all the videos that use that music. 
And if you don't know that I gave them explicit permission to use that, you either take that video down or you strip their monetization and give it back to me. And that is a part of the epidemic business model as well. So it kind of creates some issues where on the one hand, if it's, if it's not being licensed from them or the person doesn't have an epidemic subscription, they get a copyright strike. Uh, and that system is not like, it's, it's not uh, 100% foolproof, let's say that. So uh, what we've decided to do is we've decided to stay out of the YouTube CMS system completely for the time being so that there's zero chance of any copyright claims on any of our content, full stop. Gotcha. Uh, because that is one of the issues that I think we hear a lot uh, from the creators, even when they are going out and subscribing to things like Artlist or Epidemic, which are specifically made to avoid these types of issues. So the artists, the, actually the, the production of, this, of the song, of the soundtrack that comes after this, um, can be a variety of different things. They could be just a maybe a sound effect or, or a, a short clip for a, a 30 second clip. Uh, it could be an entire movie soundtrack, perhaps. Uh, it could be an intro music to a podcast, I'd imagine, right? So as you, as, as you talked about, the opening, the, the intro music to this show is, was, is royalty free that we, we got somewhere. Um, that's somebody's complete work, right? So that's a complete, they actually have, they actually wrote everything out. They have, they play the music, whatever, but you're, but if we use Toonie, that actually is going to be completely customized. I mean, with the exception of taking that sample of like, Hey, we like this sample, which is maybe a little bit more upbeat. And then we put it into your process and it kind of meshes together different types of beats or styles or whatever. And then at the end of the day, it's a, it's a collaboration of, of different works. So it's, but it becomes basically your, your own unique file or you, you, your own unique sound. Is, is, is that, is that accurate? Yeah. And actually from the perspective of the user, you know, we, we own all of the kind of variations that come out of the library and then, and then pass those rights on to the subscriber so that they can use them in their YouTube channel. Um, but uh, we, you know, the, the kind of legal implications are the same as if you were using um, like splice loops or even Apple loops. So like anybody that's ever used GarageBand, for example, you know, there's like a library of melodies and beats and, and little bits and bytes in there. And actually that library appears in a lot of pop songs, you know? So, and those pop songs are owned by artists and record labels, right? So um, when you're using, let's say like samples or loops, um, those are all kind of like copyright free by design, you know, because um, they're being commissioned for a product that is made for people to then create, you know, unique works of music with that. So it, doesn't really carry any sort of copyright implications with it. And so we treat our audio elements the exact same way. Um, it's basically like a loop and sample library that we've developed ourselves that we own that we then stitch together in a variety of different ways to deliver soundtracks. I want to dive into your algorithm a little bit more because I think that's a, that is probably, I think we, we're not doing it justice uh, in, in, in just determining and helping people understand the significance of that versus just saying, oh, we are, what Toonie is doing is a music library for creators. Okay, cool. Like, but what is that secret sauce? But before we get into that, you know, I think it's important for people to know who you are, right? I think 
we talked about what Toonie is. Uh, we talked about, you know, kind of we hinted about the your your secret sauce. But you have a fascinating history as I was doing research on you. And I mentioned this to you uh, off camera is and, and most times you you look at somebody like, OK, how did you get started? What is your origin story? Right. How did you become Batman? Um, and and it was like, oh, well, I can't I started I became the entrepreneur because, uh, you know, I, I was I loved develop, you know, coding when my dad gave me this my first computer when I was young and blah, blah, blah. So, Anthony, like as somebody who's been around for a while, how did you wind up? creating this music service like what is your what in your background actually motivated you to create this problem like how did you motivate you to create a solution to this problem sure um yeah i mean this 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 project is really the culmination of kind of the majority of my career and the majority of my experience as a musician before that so i started studying music um when I was six years old, uh, I, I was born in Moscow and came to America when I was nine. And from six to nine, I was in the Moscow Conservatory of Music in their prep department, learning how to play xylophone and marimba and all manners of concert percussion instruments. And then uh, I moved to Cincinnati, Ohio and worked and uh, went to the School for Creative and Performing Arts and studied music there and went to the Interlochen Arts Academy up in Michigan and basically was like full on doing classical music. And then, you know, when I got to college, I decided I didn't want to be a performer for a career. I didn't want to be a teacher. I didn't want to be playing in a symphony orchestra. Um, you know, I wanted to be close to music, but not actually play for money, basically. Like, I kind of made that choice when I was 17 or 18. Um, and so I decided to go into the music business. And all through college, that was sort of my thesis is like, I'm going to work at a record label. I mean, back in the day, like, when I graduated from college in like the 2000s, like working at a record label was cool. You know, everybody wanted to work at a record label. <laughs> and when I graduated college, record labels were getting absolutely decimated because the business model was being challenged by illegal downloads, streaming, Napster, et cetera. And so like most people, if you know people who work in advertising and you ask them how they got into advertising, they will say, I fell into this, you know, totally like, all of the stories of all the people I've ever worked with in, in advertising and marketing is like so like, uh, you know, anecdotal and like very, very personal. And it's like this very random kind of, you know, this this perfect storm that landed me here. And so I ended up in advertising because I wanted to work in a creative business and the music business was not available. And I, you know, I, I wasn't like so passionate about film or 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 writing, for example. So. I started working in advertising and, you know, for better or worse, the cool thing was I ended up in digital advertising, ended up learning how to build digital product. So we built apps and websites for, for brands. You know, I worked uh, with P&G, I worked with Nintendo, uh, the, you know, then later I, um, I got into the kind of Mad Men classic uh, advertising experience. I worked at this agency called Leo Burnett in Chicago and we made TV commercials for Nintendo, which was super fun right and then and then i worked on madison avenue at uh at ddb um and uh you know and built uh and then i you know i built like uh apps that that let you know what kind of robitussin to use depending on your cold symptoms you know so like i had this very kind of diverse experience uh in in advertising and then decided to bring my music background back into the fold so i started looking for opportunities of where do brands use music and how can i get involved with that and so I, the, kind of my, my, my 
crossover moment, my transition moment was some friends of mine started a, a music startup in Chicago called Music Dealers, which has sten- since um, gone out of business. Um, but uh, this was kind of my first foray into the intersection of brand marketing and music. And this company had an investment from Coca-Cola Ventures. And I worked for three years with the Coca-Cola global music team, helping them with all manners of music marketing from putting songs into their commercials to creating music for their commercials to executing artist partnerships uh, with record labels and major artists. And, uh, and then I ended up doing something similar with American Express afterwards uh, for their music marketing program called Unstaged. And, um, and after that experience, I wanted to start my own business. So, you know, the low hanging fruit coming from the advertising space for me to start a business was a production company that worked with advertising agencies. So that was, that was what we did next. You know, we, I was like, I don't want to work in a corporate advertising environment. I want to kind of try to do my own thing. And I want to get a little closer to the music creation process without having to play music myself. That is like a big part of me because I, you know, I'm a drummer and I love playing drums for fun. You know, (laughs) it's like, it's very important for me that when I get behind a drum set or I play like an African djembe or whatever, Mm -hmm. I'm like hand pan, any, any percussion instrument, it's for fun. As soon as it starts being a job, like it's, you know, immediately turned off for some reason, but I also am fascinated by technology and business. So I think those things work well together. So um, I, you know, we had the service business. It was called Ear Candy Shop. My business partner, Philip, and I, you know, Philip is a Grammy and Emmy nominated film composer. He is way better at making music than I am. And so, you know, he did all the music production and creation and I did sort of the business uh, executive production side of things. And, and that was fun, right? But um, I started noticing how much digital video was being made, even in the branded content space, you know? Our big ad agency clients were telling us, hey, I have a budget to hire you for this TV ad, but then I'm going to make 100 Instagram ads this year, and I'm not going to have a budget to hire you for those. I'm going to have to use stock music or royalty-free music or uh, rights-managed, you know, like these kind of lower-cost options. And so, you know, at first I was like, this seems like a field that is getting more and more attention by, by, by virtue of necessity. Like, people don't have the budget to have great music for every single piece of digital video that they're making. And the current options are not that great, you know, because music libraries, like a lot of people don't think about this, but to aggregate a library of music in the tens of thousands of tracks and own it and be able to have a business model where you license or resell that, that's a huge lift, very high barrier to entry into this market because not only do you have to build a business, you also have to build a catalog of IP that you have to get from somewhere, you know, you have to hire composers and and kind of commission that work if you want to own it outright. And it, it's historically been not a super composer friendly environment, you know, because most of these libraries will buy the music from you for hundreds, maybe like a thousand dollars, right? And that's not a good deal, really. So most of the music that's being sold into these libraries by composers is not the composers like best work. You know, you do not want to part with your best work for 500 bucks. Um, but that's okay, because historically, these, these libraries haven't been about quality, they've been about quantity. And so now, all of a sudden, everyone who makes video found themselves in a position where they have to go to these things and use that music. They, advertising agencies never thought in a million years they would go to stock libraries for the stuff that they were working on. 
But because they were on the hook for making so much digital content for their brands to stay relevant on social media, now they're in the bargain bin of music and it's not a great experience. So this is sort of what kind of led us here. You know, uh, I was like, okay, um, people are using these libraries. We probably want to get into that space. That's a growing space. People don't like the quality. So we probably want to figure out a way to solve the quality. And people don't like the fact that it's um, very rigid and hard to customize when you can't hire a composer or a music editor or someone to help you with these things. So how do we, how do I take what I know about music, business, and technology and build a solution? And obviously, you know, this solution will work for uh, businesses as well in the long run. Um, but, you know, we kind of want to get into the creator space first and prove it out in that market because I'm just like very excited about that market. And I think um, creators who are making content for YouTube and, and other, other platforms don't have nearly as many options as, um, as the guys on the enterprise side. So we will solve the problems on the enterprise side eventually too, I think. I think we'll get into that space. But I, you know, I think like there's a burning need to give like better solutions to the creator um, so that their content can look and feel more professional without having to spend a bunch of money. Okay, so a couple questions. Uh, first of all, you said you're a drummer. So how if I go to go on to Toonie, how many pieces of uh, uh, how many uh, samples are there of your work will I be able to choose from? Is there oh, you know, is there is it like Mike uh, is it like Tom from MySpace where literally you can go in there and, and there's like a preferred it's like this is Anthony's work and you can just sample like one through like, So we've actually we've been exploring doing that. Right now it's all anonymous so you don't know where the stuff is coming from but we have been exploring kind of like letting you see the credits of cuz you know some of these tracks might have like 50 collaborators on them technically uh, based on the source material. You know what? There, there hasn't been any of my playing in our database. And I'll tell you why. Every time I show up to the studio to do that, a better drummer shows up and does it instead. So, I, and I'm a pretty good drummer, okay? But I think like where we got lucky is um, Philip, um, my, my, our cre chief creative officer and, and my business partner in, in this business is... Um, his network of musicians is too epic for me to compete with. So, you know, we don't mention these names, but the people behind our sounds are touring with, you know, mega acts, basically. These are the best musicians in LA. These are the guys that are playing all the major world tours who are like session musicians on big albums that you've listened to. Um, and, and they contribute to us anonymously. And so, you know, when I show up, and I'm like, hey, it's CEO, you know, ex-drummer, like ready for action. And there's another guy who literally is, you know, on tour 200 days of the year playing with like, you know, playing to like tens of thousands of people. I, like I step back and let him do his thing. You know? <laughs> so is it, what's the breakdown, if you can tell me in terms of how many, well, first of all, how many musicians have, have contributed to Tooney to date? Uh, and how many of them are, would you say, would be of the professional caliber versus, you know, just the average individual, right? Because is this kind of like a, I guess if you look at it in terms of stock photography, there's obviously Getty. Um, but then you get, you know, iStock Photo and Pexels and all these other ones that are royalty free or people get to, you know, for free. But they're average they're just regular people just uploading images and, you know, getting in, in, in the hopes of making, you know, a quick buck or whatever. 
what is the breakdown that you're seeing on your platform? Um, so right now, because we are still fairly early in the development of our catalog, everything is highly, highly curated. So we've probably, we probably have a little under 100 creators who have contributed so far. And those have all been um, people that we know through our network. And most of them are world class. So we have producers and performers who have contributed. Most of these folks are producing albums for artists professionally or touring or being session musicians in the studio for mega artists professionally. Um, and most of the people that they work with are like major label acts, right? And we wanted to do that initially so that while our database is small, the quality is very concentrated, right? But I think as we grow, and you know, part of the part of what we're going to do for the rest of the year is just flood our database with more elements from a more diverse set of artists. Um, we're going to be opening it up to um, creator submissions because we want more we want more musicians to participate in this as a form of um, generating income. Um, because you know, up until now, there's no. I mean, outside of Splice. Uh, which is also highly competitive. There's no really other way for, for people to monetize um, this kind of format of like music creativity. Gotcha. Um, and so, yeah, I think we're, we're going to keep kind of widening, you know, widening the net um, as we, as we proceed. And those that those artists that you're allowing in as a, as a part of this highly curated program, are they, is there a specific criteria that these artists meet up match up with or is it just like hey this these are people that you might know or you think hey they, they do great work and so you just invite them into into the the platform um yeah so that i mean i think you have to be good whatever that means and uh and i think you have to you know have kind of a unique uh you have to have like unique creative uh, music to offer us like a unique style basically so anything that is um you know anything that sounds like something else has probably uh, already been done and so i think one of the cool things one of the cool creative things about the way that our algorithm actually puts the tracks together is it doesn't discriminate like a human would so if you have a human producer and he's working with musicians to produce a record there's going to be some human bias but our our algorithm doesn't have any bias it basically just follows music theory rules and as long as you're not breaking those, it will put together, you know, part A, part B, and part C. And so we've already noticed, even though we have, let's say, dozens of different creators that have that have contributed, we've already seen some very unique combinations. And I think as we introduce more styles and personalities and vibes from different contributors, that's going to continue to happen. And I think what's good for the creators who are buying and using this music on the other side is it will create... Um, unique music for them that'll feel like different and ownable um, in a sea of stuff that is, you know, not so much so because like, I think the shelf life of sound is getting shorter and shorter, you know, like something pops on TikTok, you hear it a million times next month. You're like, Oh, that's like the old sound. What's the new sound? You know, it, it used to be, used to be like a, a popular song would be popular for like a year, two years, three years. And now it's like, you know, months if not weeks and so um everyone is always looking for new sounds so i think like one of the cool things about our library that's different from like an epidemic or an art list is we will forever be a living and breathing thing that evolves you know as new elements come in 
all of the music is influenced by these new elements coming in. So we will always have this like ever evolving sound, uh, which I think is going to be really cool. And it's going to be heavily influenced by the, uh, the, the musicians and producers that contribute to our, to our project. Something you kind of brought up uh, just now uh, in terms of like the, the ephemerality of, of sound of, of music is, and this kind of goes into the, the algorithm side of things in terms of your, your AI. And I know once you open this up, once you open up Tuni to more creators, uh, to contributors rather, what is to say, what is to stop someone from saying, I'm going to go to this club um, in LA, New York, San Francisco, Seattle, wherever, and there might be this, this musician, this artist is playing like a, a DJ or whatever, and I take out my phone, I'm recording them, I extract that audio, take that sample and just put it into, into Tuni, and then put it into your algorithm and make something from there. Technically, I don't ha actually, I don't think technically, li literally, uh, uh, legally, I don't have rights to that to that sample. I, I can use, save it for my own personal use, but I can't use it for other means without their permission. So how do you avoid that, that type of violation from happening? Uh, it, or is that something that's in the works? Because obviously you're saying, you, you, you've already said that this is a highly curated platform right now and you're very early on. So I'm not saying, hey, have you figured out, have you solved the you know, world hunger yet? Have you done that? <laughs> it's only been two years. What's taking you so long? Um, but how do you, how do you factor, how do you think about those type of things from, from happening or, and how do you protect people? How do you protect your content from that? Um, so you're hitting on something that's very interesting because, you know, when we talk to investors, a lot of investors are like, I do not invest in music projects. I do not invest in music tech projects. And it's usually because of this, right. a lot of music projects and music tech projects have these copyright complexities that a lot of times will shut them down. And, uh, I've always told, you know, before I got into, before I started my own music tech project, uh, with Tooney, um, I had other friends that would come to me to ask advice and I would tell them if, if you're building a tech product that relies on third party copyright in music, stop. There's only been one that was successful. They're called Spotify. They're public now. And the only reason that worked was because they very smartly went to record labels at the very beginning and they said, look, we're going to do this. Like your participation is paramount to the success of our business. So we're going to cut you in and they cut them in heavily, you know, like the record labels had big chunks of Spotify equity um, in order to make that whole thing work. Uh, you are not Spotify. You will probably not work it out. So, um, so this is kind of, um, this is why it's very important to sort of own all of the music rights that are underlying, you know, when you're getting into these businesses that have a music licensing component to them. Um, so to, to answer your question more specifically, like obviously copyright infringement, right? Yeah. Like you do that, you go in and you record something from somebody else, you try to submit it to us, you've just broken, like, A, you've uh, violated our terms and conditions, which you've agreed to and our end user agreement. Um, and then you've violated some like copyright laws on the side of the artist who was playing, who you heard, so, and you're gonna have to square that away with them. Um, so we're really talking about like the law has been broken. Now we're really talking about enforcement, mm -hmm. right? 
And the reason why I went into this business confidently, whereas I think like a lot of people wouldn't, is I've been in the music licensing space for like 10 years. I mean, there's no uh, weird music copyright situation I have not seen and had to like wiggle myself and my clients out of. So I've, I've definitely been there, done that. Um, so from an enforcement perspective in that particular case, a number of things could happen. First of all, um, for us, we try to keep our side of the street as clean as possible. We have not solved world hunger yet, but we're on the way in terms of that right there. And that is we use a few sort of, we use a few services that will automatically check whatever is being submitted against all of the copywritten works that are available uh, in the database that that service uses. So if anything has been released and copywritten and is in that database, it will sort of match it and flag it, right? Beyond that, um, you know, YouTube kind of does the same thing. So let's say we didn't check it or we didn't catch it. It goes into music that a creator gets out of our platform, puts on YouTube, and then it gets flagged. Well, then, you know, we, we look at that and we figure out, okay, what song actually set that off? Because it probably wasn't the song that came out of our platform that set it off. It was a sound that is in another song that appeared in our song too, that set those alarms off. And then, and then it's on that person, obviously, you know, because again, like our TNCs are very clear about any kind of music submission. Like it has to be something you own uh, uh, and it has to be something you have the copyright for. And, and if you're submitting recordings to us, also the, the master recording rights, um, uh, you know, and beyond that, I mean, there's um, a DMCA, rights. So like, for, you know, like we're, Obviously, like it's not anything that is going to get us into legal hot water, but the person who's doing it could get into some legal hot water for sure. Gotcha. All right. So why don't we talk about this AI? Because I think it's, it's fascinating. Um, it, you can generate tracks based on mood on, on someone's, I guess, on the mood of the video, the genre, the length, the tempo and the narrative. I mean, those are probably just a, a sampling. So how does what was the. It, what was the spark? That kind of said, hey, you know what? Yes, we can do this music library thing. We can do this Columbia House type of style, um, you know, and and have people buy all this music. Uh, but you know what? We we think there's, you know, let's have people create, be have the give people the option to create their own collaboration, their own mashup, if you will, right? And how did you? What was the type of work that went into creating this type of technology? Mm -hmm. I mean, a good portion of like the functionality that lets you go beyond just um, genre, mood and tempo, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you're creating settings in our platform and it's generating results for you. But it, but to the end user, to the creator, it's no different than using, you know, filters and search on any on any library. Um, but but, you know, the, the main kind of creator tool, the, the music adaptation features that we have really came from uh, from Philip, my business partner who is a composer and he does a lot of film work. And so he gets hired to score the picture, right? He gets hired to use music to evoke emotion in visual media. And he and that is like a big passion area for him. So he was looking at YouTube videos and saying, you know, a lot of these YouTube videos have like background music and it's static background music. And most of it is loop based and kind of boring. You know, they just throw something in there. It sounds like generic. It doesn't have anything to do with the video really it's just there and so many times in our you know in our previous business where ad agencies would hire us 
a lot of times they would hire us to adapt a particular piece to a variety of different uh, versions of, a, of an ad, right? So they would have a 15 second version, a 30 second version, a 60 second version. And they wanted us to tweak the music for each one so that the music nails the timing of the product reveal or, you know, someone turns around and kisses someone or, you know, most of why music is added to video in the first place is to evoke emotion. And if you talk to directors who do films, they will say that music is like 50%, if not more, of the emotion being evoked uh, in a particular scene. Um, and so when that music matches the video, it, you can feel the difference, right? Like if it really feels like the music is in lockstep with what's going on on screen, you can feel it. And that doesn't necessarily need to be some highfalutin like film scene, you know? It, it could easily be a video blog, right? Like if you're talking and there's some kind of chill music that is building little by little by little, and then you say something impactful and the music explodes, the viewer will feel that. Um, and so these are kind of the things that we're, we're playing around with because we want to give creators a, a tool to make their music feel more professional. And if you look at the whole creator tool space, you know, video editing platforms, like how many web-based videos are there, web-based uh, web video editors are there? Um, photo editing, right? Like every app you use has native filters in it. Um, a lot of apps you use have a video editing feature, even if it's basic. Um, there's some stuff around like sound effects or, or maybe kind of like mixing the sound, right? But no one has touched music because it's too complex because you can't just build features to, to edit existing music. So you have to have a music library and editing tool in one, which is what we've created. So is, are the settings that you get on here, because I'm thinking, I mean, let's use, use the show as a perfect example. All right, I, I'm tired of this copyright strike that we have, on, uh, that we're getting on, the, on our show, but not every episode is going to be the same. So it's not as if we can just, I can take this particular episode, upload it into Toonie and come up with an intro track, right? So how would that work using Toonie? Like I can, I, I log in, do I specify like just, Put a tap on a bunch of settings saying this is I want something upbeat that's going to be you know maybe two minutes uh, in length and you know take this and built off of this particular sample is that is that kind of a good starting point or how how many you know how many mad scientist levers am I pulling here? Sure, yeah, I think as far as the features, um, you know, first uh, you have to have a starting point, right? So when you're trying to figure out what music you're going to use, you are either you either know what genre and mood you want, and mm -hmm. that kind of sets you off on a search. I think with libraries, a lot of times you'll get into like a pre-made playlist, you know, action, comedy, uh, but these are all moods, you know, st styles of music. Um, we also allow people to do that by project type. So we've identified music that fits better with a video blog or a makeup tutorial or uh, a digital ad. Um, and then the other thing that we've done is we've also, um, We've tapped into a, a database of all music ever, and you can search by popular song. And basically all we do is we just look at the genre and the tempo of that song, and we create options for that genre and tempo. And the reason why is because when you're editing video, sometimes you'll edit to a popular song just so that you have something to paste to. And then if you need to replace it because you can't afford to use that song, you will want to keep a song of the same pace and generally the same vibe. Obviously, we're not going to like give you a generic version of a Drake song, 
but we can give you a hip hop tune, like a moody hip hop tune in that same pace that will match with the video edit. So those are kind of the entry points when you're talking about looking at um, just tracks to start playing around with, right? Because that's what most people do. They are like, get me in the ballpark of what I need. Um, the, the, the thing that we heard a lot of YouTubers and creators say is, once I find something that's 75% of the, the way there, I can't get it to 100%. I can't change the length of it. I can't change how long the intro is. I can't change where the beat drop is. And so this is where our, you know, our, our sorcery comes in. Uh, we allow you to change the length of any of the tracks in our library. So, and it's not like it's chopping it. It's literally rearranging it for that length with a clear beginning, middle and end. So you can say, this is a two minute track. I will create a 30 second version of it. It will feel like a customized 30 second version of that with the same beginning, middle and end, but just for 30 seconds. And then we can let people um, change where the, uh, the drop basically happens in a song. So that is kind of a turning point feature, you know, like in, in, in film scoring, someone will say, well, the score is going to swell up. And then during the turning point, which might be a kiss, a dunk, a high five, a product reveal, any action on screen, something happens, the music explodes. And so we built a feature that lets you basically use a slider to tell us where that moment is in the video. And then our music will swell up and build and drop a beat on that moment. So that's kind of a killer feature no other library can replicate because you need you need a modular like music engine underneath that to enable that kind of feature. Um, what we also let people do is we let them mix and match individual instruments in the song. So we've heard a lot of people say, I find a music, uh, I find a song or the music in a library. I like the song for the most part. It's got some weird trumpet in it or the vocal is super strange. And, you know, there's like something about it that's not quite right. And there are some uh, libraries, I think Epidemic, maybe a few other ones that have um, stems for every single track, you know? So if you're a sophisticated editor, you can download the stems and sort of edit the music yourself. Um, I think that's quite cumbersome. And I think it's, um, you know, it's not fair that in order to do this kind of manipulation to music, you have to know how to download stems and edit them. So we've sort of simplified that by letting people just like turn those things on and off and in some ways replace them. So if you don't like the melody in a particular song, you just hit replace, it will replace the melody and keep everything else the same. Same thing with drums, uh, same things with the bass, you know? So you can actually kind of mix and match different parts uh, of a track together until you find something that you like. What is the type of creator that you hope will use this? Cause you're talking about um, all these different options that you have and, and, and certainly, the more options, the greater control you give to uh, a creator in terms of the what the output they want. Um, they can go full uh, Rick and Morty, or they can go like, or they can go super basic, right? Where it's like, I just need a song. Uh, uh, so I'm not the mad scientist. I am by no means, uh, you know, uh, uh, a dead mouse or anything like that. Like a massive, just popular DJ where I'm like, yeah, I can totally know all these knobs, like. I can barely figure out the, the sound mixer I have right now. Um, but what is the what is the average, I guess, level of experience that you hope somebody would be able to use this? Is this is tuning made for the the common creator, right? So not only myself, but but folks like you, folks like you know our parents who might be like, oh, I want to create something fun for our 
trip uh trip video or something like that and i'm gonna i need this particular soundtrack you can just do press a few buttons and there you go yeah i think that's exactly who it's made for so you know as i'm explaining some of what's going on in the background obviously i'm close to it and i know how it works but from a user experience standpoint like when creators use our platform it's very intuitive and very simple so you basically move a slider click regenerate and it gives you a new track you know you say change this melody, it'll give you a new melody. You say, delete this melody, it'll delete this melody. So it, it's very easy and intuitive. It kind of works like magic. There's a lot of stuff happening on the back end to make that happen. Uh, but on the front end, it's quite simple. And we are actually looking into ways to automate that further. So we're now experimenting with ways to actually do some visual analysis on your video and try to guess um, you know, where you have certain kind of changes in the pace of your edit or like the subject matter or whether someone's talking or not talking to um, suggest music that uh, that fits based on all that stuff. So eventually, you know, it'll, it'll kind of be like, we'll take our best guess at a soundtrack for your video. And then you'll be able to go in and clean it up and dial it in a little bit before downloading it. And what is the price tag on you for, for creators to use Tuni right now? Yeah, so you know our, our business model is uh, we're a subscription service. Um, creators with a single YouTube channel can subscribe for ten dollars a month. Um, we will always have a freemium tier. Right now, it's capped at three downloads per month. So a lot of creators are just getting started. They um, don't they don't pay for a music subscription because they feel like they don't use enough music. And so we want them to have a shot at trying our platform and actually using some of that music as well. So. Um, there's a freemium tier with, you know, three tracks per month that you can download and use and you, but you can like generate and edit as many as you want and play around with the software. Um, and then if you're a more of like a professional user, you know, if you're using that music for ads that you're creating on someone else's behalf, if you're using them for ads for your, you know, e-commerce business or something, that's a $20 a month, uh, tier. And then we have kind of special pricing for, uh, enterprise clients and media companies. Gotcha. Yeah, I was, I was curious because I was thinking like, if I wanted, to, if I signed up, obviously I probably might use it maybe once, once, once or twice in a, a month or something like that. But I'm curious about those that are more active creators, right? That are that are constantly churning out videos, um, and like, what is your thoughts in terms of those that are creating? Because you're saying that right now these are per YouTube channel. But what if I'm creating stuff that's not only for YouTube, but YouTube Shorts, TikTok, uh, Instagram, Snap, Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever? And they're all, all different types of. Uh, they're either ephemeral or they're longer form or short form or whatever. And I mean, what what would your thoughts be on on that? And and do you plan on supporting those type of options later on? Because there might be. I mean, right now, some people that are creating, if you're looking on Instagram shorts uh, or, or any of these ephemeral thing, TikToks, they're all, all these videos have popular songs as their, their background. Right. And you like, I can drive around the city. Uh, in my, I'm driving my car. I'm listening to a station. And all of a sudden I'm like thinking literally every song on this station is something that I've heard on TikTok or Instagram. And it's driving me nuts because it's constantly, it's like, it's torture. Uh, so you have to change to something else. Um, but I mean, would there, do you anticipate people saying, you know what, I'm tired of using the common, you know, 
song that everyone's using, common audio that everyone's using for their video. I want to create my own, right? And so I can go on to Undertuny, create my 30-second clip, and especially if you're finessing your video accordingly, right? You want to have it super polished. Do you anticipate that type of those type of creators being users of, of Tuny? Yes, absolutely. And so I think I think we get more into the sort of user-generated content, like highly social video, like TikTok or Instagram. Um, we get more into that as we um, start to add uh, vocals, which we'll be doing. Like we have some vocals now, but we'll be adding a lot more um, and actually creating songs that sound like, you know, stuff that you hear on the radio maybe. Um, uh, but also, you know, we, we limit to one YouTube channel per user because YouTube is the one place where music usage is tracked by channel. Mm -hmm. um, but that subscription includes with it, you know, using that music pretty much anywhere else uh, on, on your social channels, whether it's Snap or Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or anything else. Um, and yeah, I think over time, you know, right now we're focused on a very specific use case and, and YouTubers seem to have the most burning use case because YouTube is an environment that is, uh, you know, enforcing music copyright. Uh, and, and also, you know, if you're a YouTube partner, as I'm sure you know, if you're a YouTube partner, you're also making money from your YouTube channel. And that's partially why YouTube makes you use royalty-free music is because you're not, you're not supposed to monetize content you don't own, right? So they're running ads against your video. Everything in that video should be owned or at least legally licensed by you. So that is a very specific use case. And that is why, you know, when you talk about Artlist and Epidemic, the majority of the people who subscribe to those services are YouTubers who are posting consistently, right? And so we're taking their business model a step further and saying, it's not just a bunch of static tracks in a database that you have to dig through. You can actually adapt and manipulate this music to fit your video a little better. So your stuff sounds a little more um, professional and, and you, you can get kind of more customization out of it. Um, but over time, you know, I think we want to get into uh, other use cases for music where uh, we have, you know, consumer features. Like we definitely have a, a, mobile, uh, a mobile app on a roadmap that will allow people to, you know, soundtrack any video. You know, if you just, you have like a little video that you, um, you know, have of your kid that you want to post to Instagram so your family can look at that. And you can obviously search through popular music for that. Um, on Instagram stories, like music tab. Uh, but, you know, maybe you want to like make it kind of epic, you know, maybe you want to give it a movie soundtrack or something. Um, that That is something that you would use uh, Tuny for eventually. Gotcha. And um, what about in terms of, what advice would you give to creators who are thinking about, you know, incorporating audio or, or music into their videos? Like what, sh what are some things that they should, after hearing this, this, this conversation, you know, they're walking away. What, what are some, can you give us like two or three th tips for them to, to walk away with and say, Oh, this is how I should, I can make my videos a lot better using audio and, and best practices that I should, that I should adhere to. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think if you're, if you're looking for ways to make your visuals more interesting using sound and specifically music, um, I think I think a good exercise is to just look at uh, when you're when you start when you're watching films when you're watching commercials when you're watching more pro media just to notice the kind of music that's being used against a particular scene or content format and how it makes you feel you know and I think 
Um, a lot of us don't think about that. So a lot of times when we talk about, you know, music behind a video, people are like, is there a lot of music in video? And it's just because you don't notice it. You know, there's obviously music behind pretty much every piece of video content you watch. I mean, it's very rare that there isn't, uh, but we don't really pay attention to it, but it does have an effect on us emotionally. So I think if you're a person who's making content, um, it's just it's just about kind of noticing how other people are doing it a little bit. And then, and then perhaps developing your own creative point of view on how you want to use music to uh, drive emotion. You know, I mean, there's different kind of genres and vibes that you can use uh, to deliver a certain emotion. You can play death metal to uh, signify intensity. You can play like a chill, laid back hip hop beat to mellow people out. You can play solo piano to make people feel a little sad and sappy. You can play like, uh, a hand, you know, a hand-picked uh, acoustic guitar to make things a little like light and fun. So these are all kind of tools in the toolbox that a music supervisor would use. But you know, if you're not a music supervisor, it's just about kind of being a little more proactive about listening to the kind of music that's being used out there to evoke particular emotion. And I think for us at Tuni, like right now, the features that I've described to you, they're sort of automating parts of what a composer would do for a film or a TV show. And we're letting YouTubers do the same thing. Um, I think over time we'll develop features that do the same thing in terms of music supervision. So you, there are plenty of people who have a hard time picking music to go along with their video because they don't know a lot of music. They're not music supervisors. They're not you know music nerds like me, and they're not out there listening to like everything they could possibly get their hand on. Um, but they know what they're trying to you know what they're trying to achieve. So like. If you want something to feel epic, if you want something to feel sad, if you want something to feel happy. Um, and so we're going to be creating features that allow people to soundtrack their videos using those kind of emotional keywords. Cool. Uh, so obviously you're curating the artists to provide samples. Uh, but what about for those that are interested in joining to be users of Tuni? Is that are you currently doing like a waitlist or is that? The, is it wide open that anyone can sign up and, and use the service right now? Yeah, I mean, so, we, you know, we have a private beta. So uh, if anybody's interested in using the private beta before we launch, uh, you can just, you can email Antony, A-N-T-O-N-Y, at Tooney.io. Um, and we can give you access so you can kind of get a, a sneak preview. Otherwise, um, we do have a wait list. Um, you can join the wait list by going to Tooney.io and just entering your email there. And you'll get three months free uh, for doing so when we launch. And we're planning a launch this summer. Um, and so, you know, if you're on the wait list, you'll be one of the first in line to, to try the, the, the tool. Well, I'll definitely have to sign up because I got to get this, see if we can't get a new intro here. For, in, for sure. I'm sure if we can wait, wait for an entire month. But <laughs> we'll see. I mean, the music's great. Uh, but, you know, with those copyright strikes are, are, are awful. Uh, not as if it really matters until we monetize. But... Uh, that being said, uh, anything else that, you know, you wanted to mention, Anthony, before we, we wrap this up? Uh, well, thank you for having me. You know, this is like something that we're really passionate about. And we, so I love talking about it and can talk about it endlessly. So appreciate you um, asking me some really awesome questions here. And, you know, it's a, it's a space we're really passionate about. And we really hope to make a difference in creators' lives, both in terms of the musicians and producers that contribute to our library to, to give them another income source, but, but mainly creators who are using music for video to um, make the internet sound a little better. You know, that's kind of 
what we hope to achieve uh, with uh, with with bringing Tuni to the world later on this this summer. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole lot more we can talk about in terms of the music side, and especially with with Tuni. There's even parts where we haven't. There's questions that we haven't gotten to, such as the the enterprise side, and especially the 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 pivot that you're well, the rebrand from from your original company name of Library X to uh, to Tuni. So you know what, I think we're just going to have to have you come back and tell us more about what, you, what you're doing at Tooney uh, and, and also as the, as the company progresses, how you are catering more also to not only creators themselves, but also to the enterprises, because I think that's especially important as brands and creators want to work uh, closely together. So thank totally. you so much, Anthony. Really appreciate that. Um, and we will chat with you uh, later on. And hopefully next time you can come back uh, soon to chat more. So. Awesome. Yeah, happy to do it. Thanks awesome. so much. No worries. All right. Well, thank you, Anthony, for joining us. Um, and that'll wrap up another episode of uh, Created Economy. Don't forget, you can tune in uh, on Wednesdays for future episodes. We have amazing lineup uh, in store of guests in store, including Randy Zuckerberg, who will be on in a future episode uh, so please feel free to s- subscribe, like, and subscribe to our YouTube. And, and first time we're announcing it, the Created Economy podcast is now available on Anchor, Spotify, uh, Apple and Google Podcasts, Amazon Audible, and a host of other podcast uh, services. So feel free to go and subscribe there and you can listen to every episode there. So we have 40, all 40 plus episodes in store there, uh, ready for you to check out. So without further ado, thank you everyone for joining us. Um, I'm Ken Young, and this has been another episode of the Created Economy Podcast. See you later.